We are downtown. We are historic. We are family. We are scriptural. We are First Baptist Church. This week we've been reading together Philippians 2, 19 through 30. We're going to read a portion of that now uh, in the service together, verses 19 through 24. So if you'll stand with me, uh, we're going to read aloud the text together. This then is the text for today. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. May God bless the reading of his word. What do you say when someone asks you what your interests are? I think we're pretty conditioned to give a standard response here. When someone asks what your interests are, you usually give hobbies that you are about. We say things like fishing or golf or reading or cooking, those kinds of things. The kinds of things that uh, pass the time between the requirements of life. That, and that's usually what people want to know. When, when they ask you what you're interested in, that's usually what they want to talk about. What are your hobbies? Now, maybe it goes a little bit different. When, when somebody comes and asks you kind of what you're interested in, sometimes we think, well, well maybe that's more, more mental. Maybe it's, it's what's taking up most of the bandwidth of our thoughts. You know, what, what are we daydreaming about? What does your mind chase when you're supposed to be working? And so it's nearly the same thing, isn't it? What, what are we interested in? Or what are your interests? These things kind of go hand in hand. It's the kind of thing that takes up space in our minds and in our hearts and in our lives. They're the kinds of things that we, we put our energy and our life into. They're the kinds of things that we chase after in our dreams. They're the kinds of things that we long for when we don't have them near. Now, Paul, in our text for today, contrasts two ways of living, and we need to lay those out in front. In fact, let's look at uh, Philippians 2, verse 21. So in verse 21, he says, they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. And so he's setting the stage where there's two different kinds of people on this earth. Those that are absorbed into all of their self-interests, whatever they are, and then there are others that seek after the interests of Jesus Christ, whatever they may be. And in fact, all of us fall into one of these two categories. Are we chasing after my own selfish ambition or am I chasing after the ways and things and hopes and dreams of Christ? Am I daydreaming about what I want or am I daydreaming about what the Christ wants? What are our interests? 
Now, the fact of the matter is most of the people around us don't care one bit about what Jesus' interests are. They don't care what he thinks about anything. Or, or if they do, the only reason they care about what Jesus is thinking is just so that they might refute him like a Pharisee trying to trap him in a legal dispute. But there are a few of us there are a few of us, ones that the Holy Spirit of God begins to prod, ones that the Holy Spirit gets hold of, and, and we start to wonder. We start to, what are Jesus Christ's interests? We hear this first, like, like today that we hear in verse 21, and we say, I wonder what Jesus Christ might be thinking of. I wonder what are the kinds of things that Jesus Christ daydreamed about. I, I really, truly wonder what those are. And I wonder if those are lining up with who I am. And so stay with me here. If, if you hear this verse and you wonder what Jesus Christ is seeking, don't miss it. That, that is a miracle of the Holy Spirit at work on your heart and at work in your lives because most people out there don't care one bit about what Jesus Christ is thinking. And so if you hear this verse and, and think, what might Jesus say? What might Jesus do? That is a work of the Holy Spirit in your heart and the Holy Spirit is prodding you forward this morning. See, that's, that's, that's God bringing you close, opening your heart up to him. And so, so lean into it. Don't, don't run away from it. If you start to dream and wonder about what Jesus Christ was doing, don't neglect the Spirit's work in your heart this morning. Now, in our text this week, in Philippians chapter two, Paul gives us two examples of, of what seeking after Jesus Christ looks like. He said, I've got two people in my life right now that do not concern themselves with their own interests but they are actively and purposefully seeking out the interests of Jesus Christ. And so first, he says, first is Timothy. It's who we read about aloud a moment ago. It's a young man that Paul met at the beginning of his second missionary journey in Lystra. And Timothy was a well-respected man in, in that region. And, and he becomes this invaluable resource to Paul. So much so that as he's writing to the church at Philippi, he says, now you know my current state. I am in chains, I'm under house arrest, and I am facing execution in Rome, and I need, I need Timothy with me right now. In fact, I need to know how this legal dispute plays out before I send Timothy out on any more work. He needs to be with me. But when we get all this resolved, I'm sending Timothy to you. And so he, he's become just this active part of Paul's ministry. Now, the, the little that we know about Timothy is that he was traveling around with Paul and on his missionary journeys. We, we know that he also traveled on behalf of Paul in, in places that he couldn't go. Um, and, and we need to understand this morning that that wasn't just because Timothy thought Paul was a nice guy or that Timothy really liked to travel. He wanted to get out of the house a little bit and go see the world. There was only one reason why Timothy would travel 40 days in one direction to the Philippians. And, and the reason why he would travel 40 days in one direction was because that's who Jesus Christ cared about. And that's what Jesus cared about. He cared about the church and he cared about the people in Philippi. And he said, Timothy, you need to go. And so he was willing to go and do whatever needed to be done. He would go anywhere, anytime for the sake of Jesus Christ. And that's what he was going to do. 
Now, Epaphroditus is a similar story in the opposite direction. The church at Philippi had heard about Paul's imprisonment. They had heard about the struggles that he was facing. And so they sent Epaphroditus. They, they got in amongst themselves in the church and they said, we want to help Paul. We're going to send Paul money. We're going to send him resources. We're going to make sure he has what he needs while he's in prison. And they say, Epaphroditus, you take the check and you go and you make sure Paul is well. And that's exactly what he did. But sometime before he had a chance to go back, he got sick and he nearly died. That's what you hear at the end of our text for this week. Look with me at chapter two, verse 30. That's, that's what we're speaking of here in verse 30. Because he, Epaphroditus, came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. See, now, Epaphroditus didn't make this journey because he was interested in passenger ships across the Mediterranean. He did it because he was interested in what Jesus Christ was doing. He wanted to see what, what Christ was doing in Rome. He wanted to see what Christ was doing in Paul. He wanted to see what Christ was doing in Timothy. And, and so he chased after it. He was going to work for the sake of the gospel. And it didn't matter where God sent him or what God was doing. It was Christ first. The message of the gospel first. Wherever I go and in whatever I'm doing, that is the priority. That is the interest and so we have all of these, Paul, the church at Philippi, Timothy, Epaphroditus. They, they loved each other deeply and they had this inner connection in the spirit. And the reason they, they loved so deeply, it wasn't just because Timothy could tell good stories along the way, it just wasn't um, because Paul helped them out one time. The reason why they were, they were so close is because they, they, they were living out the love that they learned of in Christ on the cross. You see, their actions and their travel and their, their gifts and their love were a direct result of Jesus Christ coming into their lives and changing their hearts and changing their interests. And he would point them in a new direction, a holy one. You see, when Jesus comes into your heart, what happens is he begins to, to, to mold you into somebody that's holy. And sometimes what that means is he says, these interests that are over here, they're completely selfish and sinful and they have to be wiped out completely. And so sometimes we have to just rid our lives of certain things and we repent of them. Now, other times that when Christ comes in and there are things that, that are of us that, that we are interested in and, and, and Jesus begins to just reshape those and use those, those things and those interests for his glory. And he says, this interest that's in your heart, this interest that's in your mind, this thing that you've been daydreaming about for years, you can use this for the glory of God. And so he kind, of, he kind of changes our vision where before we were using it for ourselves and for our escape and for whatever we needed selfishly. And God says, no, you can use this very thing for me. You can use this very thing for the sake of the gospel. And he's saying, take this interest and run with it for the sake of the gospel. Get to work for Jesus Christ. And that's what he does for us when he comes into our hearts and into our lives. We begin to think, like Jesus Christ thought. You know, it's fun to imagine what Jesus may have been interested in when he walked this earth. Maybe he was interested in carpentry, like his father. Maybe he went and built things. Maybe he was interested in fishing. He spent a lot of time on boats. He had some fishermen that he discipled. 
He even told them how to catch fish one morning. They've been the greatest catch of their life. You know, but practically, there's, there's little evidence for any hobbies for the Christ. But see, if there was any interest by Jesus, it always was in people. It was always in finding the deepest relationships with people. In fact, all of those other things, like, like, like fishing or carpentry or whatever it might be, it was always to use those kinds of things to develop deep and holy relationships with people, life-changing relationships that, that led to encouragement and hope, where he would walk into people's lives and lift them up and lift their spirit up so they had hope that they had never had before, that when, when he walked into people's life, they began to know peace that passed all understanding. You see, whenever you see Jesus kind of moving along, he's always finding people to come alongside. Maybe other than when he went up on the mountain to pray. And when he goes up on the mountain to pray, he's deepening his own relationship with God in those moments. But you see him going about his, his business and as he's going about, he's, he's healing people. He's having dinner at Zacchaeus' house. He sits uh, with a woman at the well and, and these scenes of Jesus' life are preserved by God in Scripture to show us what these ever-deepening relationships look like, to, to show us what it means to be near the Christ and be with the Christ. Because you see him, he's always just pulling people up where he's picking them up and he's saying, come with me, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Or maybe in Zacchaeus, he's pulling him down, right? He's like, come down, let's go eat. He says, let's go to your house, do something good. And he did that everywhere he went. But you know, it's unfathomable to us, but there were some people that were surrounding Jesus as he went from place to place and he was loving on people everywhere he went. There were some that didn't, didn't want to have anything to, to do with him. They, they just wanted him gone. Because that, that presence of Jesus was so real that they sensed they would have to change something in their hearts. They'd have to change something in their lives. They would have to give up sin that they had held so dear when Jesus was near. And, in, and instead of dealing with that with God, instead of wrestling with those things, instead of handing their interests over to God, they, they just decided to fight back. And in fact, they decided they were gonna do anything to get rid of him. Just get him out of town so we don't have to deal with this anymore. Get him out of town so we can just wallow in our own filth and be done with it. There were so many around Jesus that that's what they wanted to do. And Jesus would just dust off his feet and move on. But let's recognize in here this morning, if you're not one of those people refusing the truth of Christ, but are ready to walk towards him this morning, he will fight for your life. And he will fight for your life with his life. That he went to the cross for you that you might be saved this morning. Now, we know there's, there's some people that just don't want him. They don't want to have anything to do with the word of God because it challenges their way of life. But, but you, you put your arms around him and do not let go this morning. Because all you have to do, and scripture is clear this, all that you have to do when you come into the presence of the Christ is repent and believe. That if you will give up those things Jesus is asking you to give up, and if you believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life, then you will be saved. See, if you'll turn your life around and, and hand it over to the Christ, like he did when he died for you, you're in, you're protected, and you will have a Lord for life. See, if you will repent of your sins and develop a relationship with Jesus Christ, an ever-deepening one, you are saved. 
And that's a good word for us this morning. We need salvation. And I'm reminded of, of Peter out walking on the water. He's right there in step with Jesus. They, they have that relationship that's been growing as Jesus discipled him, and it's growing, it's growing. And, and, and Peter's out there walking with Jesus. And then he begins to, to see the sea, the wind and the waves, and as they pick up, Peter begins to sink. And we quickly jump to the rebuke. We, we jump to, to, to Peter saying, oh, you had no faith, why did you doubt, Peter? But you know what, in the context of a relationship, it was beautiful. Because when Peter began to sink, he was near enough to Jesus that Jesus could just reach down and pull him up and say, I've got you. That when Peter inevitably doubted Jesus, Jesus was right there to pull him up out of the chaos. You know, this is what it's like to be in a relationship with Jesus. That, that he's with us and he's gonna show us what it's like to walk on water. And then when we start to drown, he's gonna pull us up out of the mess. I mean, you, you need Jesus in your life right now or you are going to sink to the bottom of the sea. There's no other alternative. Without Jesus, you sink. Without Jesus, it's over. Without Jesus, you drown. And you are swallowed up by the chaos of culture. But Jesus can and Jesus will pull you out. If only you would cry out to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You know, one of, the, one of the great things about being a part of the church, one of the great things about remaining on this earth is that God gives us an opportunity to walk alongside other believers. In fact, God, God gives us all kinds of different roles for the sake of the kingdom. And one of those things as the church, and one of, one of the roles that we have together is to go out and, and help those who belong to Jesus, but they're lost. To, to help look for those that would be interested in Jesus' interests instead of their own if they were only reminded of the truth. You know, it's, it's kind of like the story of the prodigal son. That, that when, when the son, the prodigal son comes home, the, the father goes out running and throws a party and they celebrate and, and they love on one another. And we get to be a part of that as believers. We get to be a part of the celebration. We get to be a part of the rejoicing as one comes home. In that same chapter, Jesus talks about the story of a lost lamb, the story of a lost coin. And as the parables go, when, when, when someone who's been distant from God comes home, the angels in heaven begin to rejoice. You see, G Jesus tells us these stories not because he's interested in coin collecting or that he's interested in proper shepherding techniques. Jesus tells us these stories because he's interested in you coming home. He's interested in the celebration. He's interested in the sinner becoming repentant. He's, he's interested in us coming together and saying, praise the Lord, we are finally home, that we can celebrate together as brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, this is how each of those end. So this is out of Luke 15 where he tells these three stories. So listen to the end of each one of these stories. This is Luke 15, verse seven. I tell you in the same way there will be more joy in heaven 
over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. See, we get, we get to be a part of that in the repentance and calling others to repentance in the celebration. That's what Jesus is interested in. And look, look at verse 10 with me. So Luke 15, verse 10. And so this is the lost coin story. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then similarly, the end of the prodigal son story, this is um, verse 22. The father says to servants, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put the ring on his hand, the sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. See, this is what Jesus is interested in. Jesus is interested in the lost coming home and the repentant sinner being made holy again. And he's, he's saying, church, come with me. Let's do this together and let's celebrate when even a single one comes home. And that's what we'll do together. The things that Jesus is interested in the things that heaven rejoices in. It is our heart this morning. Let's pray. Our Lord, we need your grace. There's so many of us who have been distant And Lord, we come to you confessing we never should have been that far away. Lord, would you forgive us? Would you come and walk with us? Because Lord, we want to see your glory this morning. We, we want to see how you can turn our interests into something holy. Lord, that you can help us to begin to chase after the kinds of things that, that Jesus chases after. And so, Lord, we beg you to come. Lord, would you fill us up with your spirit that we might be transformed. That your interests are now our interests. And Lord, that we are with you wherever you go. It's in the name of our Lord and risen Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.